Well, good evening. Uh, If you have a Bible, open it up to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to continue in the book of Hebrews tonight. Be in chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. Hebrews 12, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Would you pray with me? Father, we do pray that as we study your word tonight, you would lead us to know Jesus better, to worship him to a greater degree. Father, our prayer is that as we study your word, you would use it to make us more like your son. Father, we confess that there are times we are tempted and distracted from what you have called us to do, to make disciples of all the nations, to pursue Jesus Christ and to share him with others. Father, we just pray that you would allow us to strengthen our resolve tonight to follow you wholeheartedly. We thank you again for this time. Give us wisdom and understanding. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in third grade, about eight years old, I went to my very first overnight camp. Uh, Some of you had that experience perhaps as kids. I went to a camp that was just shortly outside of Dallas, which is where I grew up, and uh, loved it, spent time with friends, rode horses, shot BB guns, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, But one of the favorite activities that we had while we were there was this um, kind of zip line trolley sort of deal where uh, you would uh, climb up to a tower and uh, you would grab onto a hand trolley that was attached to a cable with wheels and you would jump off of the tower and you would zip down this cable uh, toward the ground. And uh, the other end of the cable was tied to a tree at a lower place and you would slide down toward the ground and then you would be close enough to the ground to hop off. Now, uh, this was years ago, so it was before the day and age 
when there was uh, lawsuits and all that kind of stuff of camps. And so uh, there were no harnesses or anything like that uh, on this trolley. So the story I'm about to tell you actually played a part probably in changing that. Um, they, uh, there were no harnesses or anything like that. You would just jump and it was just all you hanging on until you hit the ground. And then uh, when you got to the ground, there was a rope tied to the trolley. You would grab that rope and pull it back up to the tower so the next person could play. The next person could jump. So uh, one day we were, uh, me and some friends were doing this trolley deal. We decided that's what we wanted to do with our free time. And uh, it was unsupervised. They were just letting kids go up and you could grab this thing and jump off of it. And uh, I climbed up to the top and I grabbed on and I was first leapt off of the tower. And uh, that was when I realized that whoever had used it last had tied that little rope around the tower and uh, we had not untied it before I jumped off the tower. And so uh, as you imagine, shortly after I jumped, the trolley stopped, jerked to a stop, and I lost my hold on it, and I fell to the ground about 15 feet below. And I landed on my left arm, and uh, I heard a pop. And uh, I stood up, and it really hurt. And uh, it began to swell, began to turn all the colors of the rainbow. And uh, I got up, and one of the counselors walked over, and he goes, what happened? And I go, I fell down. And he looks at it, he goes, you're good. Just, uh, just keep going along with your day. It'll, it'll get better, you know? So uh, I walk over to get a snack. I'm standing in line and the arm is just getting bigger and bigger. And the uh, nurse for the camp kind of walks by right then and she kind of looks over at me and then she does this double take. And she walks over and she goes, what in the world happened to you? And I told her, and I said, counselor over there said I was good. I was fine. Uh, she goes, you are not fine. Uh, we're going to the hospital. So she puts me in her car, go to the hospital, and it was broken. Uh, I had broken one of my bones in a couple of different places. And what I realized was that my pain was only beginning when I got to the hospital. Some of you have had a bone set, perhaps, in your life, and uh, it was a painful experience. They gave me that local anesthetic, uh, which hurt in and of itself. Uh, and my body is a little bit more resistant to those anesthetics than some people's. And I didn't realize that at the time. And so uh, I felt a lot of what he was doing as he was setting that bone. So I was eight years old and I began to just howl and scream and I'm crying and I'm screaming. And the doctor looks at one of his nurses and goes, why don't you just shut the door? You know, just in case there's other kids around, you know, so she shuts the door and I'm, I'm just dying. And finally he gets this thing in place. It's set, get the cast on. And of course it heals well. You know, and so I can use it. I, I've got movement. There's no lingering problems. But I had to go through that pain in order to get to the healing. I had to go through the pain. And if I look back at that, it would be tempting to think that doctor hated me. He was trying to hurt me. The reality is what he was trying to do was make me better. And they say that supposedly the, the bone in my arm is even stronger now than it was before I broke it because it healed even better. In order to get to wholeness, I had to hurt I had to experience some discomfort. Right? And the truth is that a lot of your life is actually like that. A lot of my life is like that. If you want to learn to do something well, it's going to take some pain, some discomfort, some intense effort. If you want to learn to be a great runner, you really want to get in shape, I've been told that it takes a lot of work, right? It takes a lot of work. And so you begin to start running. I, I, I say that jokingly. I actually have... Uh, run at different times in my life and gotten into it. And you know, if you haven't run for a while, you begin that uh, journey, your legs and your lungs and every part of your body screams out and says, stop this. Don't do this to me. Right. But you keep it up. You're persistent. And over time, your body adjusts and you get in shape and you're doing much better. 
You want to learn a skill, whether it's playing the guitar. You play the guitar at first, there's physical pain, right? Your fingers hurt. The skin hurts. Fingers might even bleed. You want to learn to dance. It's going to hurt at first. Before you get past the screaming of your muscles or whatever it is, it says stop it. But in order to do well, there's pain. The spiritual life in many respects is no different from that. If we want to be transformed in the character of Jesus Christ. If we want to be like Jesus, there is going to be trial and pain and persecution. And as you look at the scripture, the truth is that knowing God through Jesus Christ, receiving eternal life, you do that by faith in Jesus Christ and it's a free gift. But then God calls us to holiness and the path toward holiness is not easy. It requires pain. And that's why Paul writes to Timothy, everybody who desires to be godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There is no shortcut to holiness except through the path of pain and trials. And so often when there are trials in our life and there's difficulty in our life, what God is doing is he's bringing that in our life to discipline us, to shape us, and to make us into the character of Jesus Christ so that we can more effectively serve him, more effectively do his will. If you never have to, for example, wait for anything, if everything happens immediately when you want it to happen, the odds are you'll never learn to be patient. You can't learn patience in a vacuum. If I never have to wait at a traffic light, I never have to wait for graduation, for a date, the odds are I will never really learn patience. I cannot learn it apart from practicing it. If I never experience situations where I'm insulted or where friends betray me or where I'm persecuted, if I never experience those situations, then I never learn how to forgive. I never learn what it is to be gracious because I cannot learn that in a vacuum. God has to train me and shape me. And so I go through an experience and I struggle and I wrestle with forgiveness and I either learn how to forgive and I become more like Jesus Christ or I become bitter and hard and angry. But the only way to get to holiness. The only way to get to where I'm transformed into the character of Christ is through that path of suffering. If I'm always wealthy and I never know want, I never experience not having something I want, I may never learn contentment in what God has given. So God often gives us trials to shape us. The group of people that the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is writing to are men and women who are experiencing trial and they are experiencing persecution and they're experiencing pain because of their identification with Jesus Christ. They have decided to pursue this path of holiness and as a result of it, they're experiencing persecution from friends, from their culture, maybe even from the government. Some of them have lost their homes. Some of them have lost their jobs. Some of them have lost their status in society. And so their temptation is, instead of continuing to pursue Jesus, they want to turn around and walk the other direction and find safety in the old systems of Judaism and say, you know, I'm too afraid to follow Jesus. I'm too angry at what's happened to keep following Jesus. And in the midst of that, our author through this whole book has been encouraging them, strengthen your resolve and continue to walk with Jesus because the rewards for following him are much greater than anything you would sacrifice for following him. The rewards are greater. And so he challenges them to pursue Jesus. And so what this passage, as we get to chapter 12, this passage is the continuation of that idea. But if you remember in chapter 11, he's just given us a list of people who were faithful to God. 
And now he's going to say, if you want to be faithful, one of the things you need to do is recognize that the trials, the persecutions, the challenges you're facing in your walk with Christ and in your life, they are put there by God in order to discipline you and shape you. And so you need to walk through your life with that mindset. And he's going to say, how can we then strengthen our resolve to walk with God for a lifetime and to see trials in that light? So whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that I'm going through, we take it as an opportunity to be shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. How can we do that? And the first thing he says is this. He says, focus your eyes, keep your eyes on Jesus as you walk. Keep your eyes on Jesus as you walk. Verses one through three, again. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. All right, here's what's going on. Remember in the context, again, from chapter 11, he's just given us this long list of people. Noah and Abraham, Moses, and all of these prophets who have been faithful to God, they weren't perfect, but they were faithful at critical points in their life. And so he says, look at these men and women. They are the great cloud of witnesses that have finished the race before you. And he says, yes, look at them. But here in chapter 12, he says, if you really want to know, you really want to know how to endure trial well, look at Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. Because he is the master at enduring trial. He went before you. And he is the author of our faith. In the sense that what Jesus did allowed us the opportunity to believe in God. To enter into a relationship of faith with God. And he's the perfecter of our faith in the sense that Jesus is the preeminent example of faith. And he says, look at Jesus because here's what Jesus did. Jesus is absolutely perfect. God in the flesh, and yet he experiences from those around him persecution and insults and trial. He experiences betrayal from his friends. He experiences physical pain as a result of obeying God. And he ultimately experiences death. And yet in all of that, he does not revile. He does not become bitter. He does not take revenge. He does not doubt God, but instead consistently entrusts himself to God. So he says, you look at Jesus, who is the master and enduring pain, much greater pain than you've experienced. If you want to learn to do something well, look at the best. Uh, my kids, I've got uh, three, and the older two, they're, they're six years old and three years old. And these two girls, they're at an age where uh, they like to draw, they like to color, they like to do things with Play-Doh, and they're really kind of into kind of all of the artsy things. And uh, sometimes they will ask me for my assistance, um, and I need to tell you that I am not an artistic person. Uh, I cannot draw. I cannot sculpt. Um, and, but sometimes they will say to me, Daddy, will you draw me a dog? Or will you make me a cat from this Play-Doh? And so I'll do the best. And I will say, I can draw better than the kids. Um, and, and, but just barely. All right? So, uh, and it's just because I'm older. And so I can draw a, a dog or a cow or a cow that looks like a dog or, you know, something along those lines, right? I can make something that looks like a duck or a boat or whatever you want it to be. And so I, I will try to make these things and they'll kind of model things off of me and they can kind of learn a little bit. But the truth is, if you really want to learn how to draw or sculpt, you don't look at me. All right, I might be able to give you a little bit of information if you're five. 
But if you really want to learn, you go look at a Van Gogh. You go look at the Sistine Chapel. You go look at the Masters. If you want to learn how to play basketball, you look at Michael Jordan, you look at somebody great. All right, an author here says, yes, you can look at these men and women of the Old Testament because they are encouraging and they can help because they're like you. But ultimately, you want to learn how to endure trial well. You look at Jesus. And so you fix your eyes on what Jesus has done. And there may be some of you that you don't know what Jesus has done on your behalf. What Jesus has done and what he's been laying out through this whole book is that Jesus on our behalf, he died in our place because we sinned against God and we deserve eternal death. Yet Jesus took our place. He substituted himself, took our punishment, died on the cross, and he rose again so we can have life if we're in him. He says, if you believe that, you have eternal life because of Jesus. And now you fix your eyes on him and you set your resolve to follow him. And he says, in light of that, set aside all the encumbrances, all the distractions. As you run, get rid of all the things that weigh you down, whether it's sin whether it's noise, whether it's some ambition you have besides following Jesus, get rid of it. It's very easy to become distracted. It's very easy to become entangled. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're walking or you're running and you you get tangled up either on a shoelace or something that's on the ground. I can remember an incident from when I was about 13. I was in seventh grade and I was walking down the hall one day with some friends and, uh, I was walking with one friend over here and then there was a girl that I kind of liked over here and we were walking down the stairs between class and right in front of me, this kid dropped his bag and all of his books spilled out and like a good junior high kid, instead of helping him, I chuckled at him and uh, continued to walk along. Uh, But as I walked, as I took the next couple of steps, I stepped into the handles of his bag on the stairs and my feet got all tangled up in the handles of his bag and I went flat on my face down those stairs. And I was humiliated, right? My friends kind of looked at me and like good junior high kids, they walked away, you know, kind of took a step back. Don't want to be associated with that and moved on. Maybe you've had that sort of situation. You get tangled up, you're walking somewhere. And so what he says is you need to remove all those encumbrances, get rid of them. Greek runners actually uh, in the Olympics would actually run naked. They would strip all of their clothes off because they might encumber them as they ran. Uh, Roman runners would take their robes and they would tuck them up in their waistband so they would make sure not to trip on them as they ran. So he says, get rid of all of those things. There's a thousand distractions that can keep you from walking with Jesus. Maybe a sin struggle, something that you consistently wrestle with in your life, right? Whether it's uh, related to uh, valuing certain things above Jesus. Maybe it's related to the things you look at on your computer. Maybe it's related to the way you view your own body, the way you eat. Maybe it's related to the way you think about money. Maybe it is a sin that is related to your own personal integrity. And there's these sins that maybe they trip you up and consistently tie you down from walking close with Jesus Christ. And just as you begin to, the enemy attacks and you're found in that same old sin again. And it may be you need to get some help and some counsel to set aside that distraction and move forward. For some of you, your distraction is a little bit more subtle, but no less deadly. It's just the noise of our culture. From the time you wake up in the morning to the time you go to bed at night, you do not have any quiet. You wake up and you pop the headphones in or you turn on the computer or you get the iPhone out and you are consistently surrounded with noise and you never take a moment to pull away, hear from God, 
Listen to his word and let him speak to you. Spend time in prayer with him. And so as a result, the depth of your relationship with God is shallow. So when trials come, instead of focusing on Jesus, you you grasp at other things. Because all you know is noise. Maybe it is some other ambition in your life that you're determined to get that 4-0. You're determined to get into the right school so you can get the right job, so you can have the right house. And so you say, you know, I don't have time to know Jesus. I don't have time to engage in the community of believers. I don't have time to pray, to read my Bible, to know him well. And so you let this other pursuit become a distraction. And what our author says is, fix your eyes on Jesus, set the distractions aside, and remember what he did on your behalf and how he endured trial. And the reason he did is because he trusted in God and he knew God. He didn't allow the world, he didn't allow sin to take him down. So it says, fix your eyes on Jesus. And then as you do, you're able to accept trials when they come as God's loving discipline in your life. Look at verse four. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. All right, so he begins by saying this. Even as you have strived against sin, you have not uh, shed your blood. These people had not been beaten. They had not been martyred. They had not shed blood like Jesus did. And he says, uh, the implication is you haven't done that and yet you're still tempted to walk away. And the reason is because you don't understand what God is doing in the midst of this trial. You think God is trying to force you away from him or you think God is being unkind. The reality is this is what he's doing. Verse five, you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. God disciplines because he loves you. And in the midst of that trial, you say, is God doing this to me because he hates me? Does he not see me? Does he not know what's going on? Right? Just like I could have been with that doctor. Does he not see the pain I'm in? No, because what the doctor sees is the healing and the wholeness on the other side. And that's what God sees when you're in the midst of that trial. He is more concerned for your character than he is for your pleasure. He is more concerned that you become like Jesus Christ than that you have everything you want. If God were to give you everything you wanted, it would be cruel because it would destroy your character. Just like giving everything a child wants to them all the time would destroy them. Parents do it all the time. And it creates kids who are selfish, who can't wait, who don't care about others. And all of you have seen kids that uh, they're given whatever they want, whenever they want, and it does not do them a favor. I can remember being in the mall a couple of years ago, and I was playing with my kids, and there's this little kind of 
uh, area where there's three or four little cars and trucks and stuff that are kind of set on a little pedestal and you put money in them, you know, and they go back and forth for a couple of minutes and uh, kind of standing there. My kids were just kind of crawling around on them. And this other kid, probably seven or eight years old, comes up to me and I'd never seen him before in my life, but he walks right up to me and he says, uh, hey, will you give me some money for that over there? And uh, I said, well, I don't have any money, which is true. I didn't have any money on me. I said, I'm sorry. I don't usually uh, carry a whole lot of cash around on me, you know. And uh, he goes like this, and he, he turns around and walks away. I was like, I'm sorry, you know. And uh, a couple minutes later, four or five minutes later, he comes back again and uh, reaches in his pockets, and he pulls out some money. And he goes, my dad gave me money. My dad always gives me money when I want it, and walks over to the machines and puts it in there. I was like, good for you, kid, right? Dad always gives you money. Now, that may or may not be true, right? The kid could just have been a punk that day. His dad may not do that. But if it were true, if dad always gives him money every time he asks for it, is he doing the kid a favor? No, no, right? In the long run, this child will not learn what money means, will not learn how to work, will believe that I ought to be given everything I want every minute of the day. And it will create a demanding, selfish child. There's even research that backs this kind of thing up. A child who is not disciplined is not really loved, even if the parents believe they're doing what is best. God knows what is best. And so trial in your life is evidence of the fact that God is working. God is shaping you into the image of Jesus Christ because he loves you. And what he wants to do is make you holy. And so in the midst of every trial, Ask yourself, what is it that I can learn? How is it that I can transform more into the image of Jesus Christ? As I've experienced trial in my life, as you guys have, uh, there's a couple of things that I've found that I learned. One is simply trust in God, that his plan is better than mine, that his ways are better than mine. Even if I can't see ahead and I don't understand what he's doing, his plan is better. And so as I walk into a trial and it seems dark, I trust that God is in charge. Job says at one point, even should he slay me, I will trust in him. God knows the plan ahead. Uh, When I was in uh, seminary, my wife and I were first married, we struggled a lot with finances. And I really struggled, not only with contentment, but also with trusting God. I was afraid that at any minute we were going to go broke, we were going to have to live out uh, under a bridge or something like that. I just was terrified. And as a result, I, I was stingy. I clung to money. I didn't want to give, you know, all of these sort of things. And time after time after time, God put us in situations where we would be out of money. Car would break down at the wrong time in the month. Uh, medical problems would arise. And, and time after time, had to trust God. I'd simply say, well, I don't know what else to do. I can't make more money. I'll pray. Right? And time after time, saw God provide. Never more than we needed but always just what we needed for the next thing he wanted us to do. It began to shape me. And as I saw people generously give to us because they'd been praying and God would say to them, you know, they need some extra money. Without us asking, people would come and give us exactly what we needed sometimes. And I saw people extend generosity to me. It also transformed me to work on being generous to others. And in the midst of that pain, God began to transform me and change me. Anyone who tells you that the Christian life should constantly be one of absolute happiness and health and wealth and prosperity all the time is not reading the scripture. 
Because the reality is that God uses trials and pain to discipline us and transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. We learn to trust. We also learn to submit. We learn that God is an authority to which we should submit. And in the middle of a trial, you can either become rebellious and angry and prideful and think, I know better. Or you can submit and obey God, even in the midst of the trial, to say, I'm going to be faithful and walk with him. That's why I think submission to authority is one of the key indicators of a person's spiritual life. Because as I learn to submit to God's authority, then I'm willing even to submit to other authorities that God has placed in my life. Sometimes the best thing that God might do for you is put in your life a boss or a professor or an authority who really rubs you the wrong way, who is unreasonable and unkind. Because through that, you learn to submit to authority even when you don't understand what God is doing. And so we learn these things in trials and we change. I want you to think, even just for a minute, think about your life right now. What are the things that you are going through? What are the challenges that you are struggling with? Whether it's an issue in school, maybe your grades are not what you wanted them to be. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe you're experiencing the heartbreak of a relationship that just didn't go or isn't going the way you want it to. Maybe it is your career. You had a plan for after graduation and that has fallen apart on you can't find a job or you can't find the one that you want? What is it that God is uh, doing in the midst of that pain? And how is it that you can begin to transform into the image of Jesus Christ in the midst of that pain? And instead of asking, why is God doing this? Ask, how can I become more like Jesus Christ in the middle of this? So he says, God is using trials to discipline us, to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. And so in light of that, the last thing he says is this, strengthen your resolve to persevere. Look at verses 12 and 13. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Sometimes we think the solution to pain is to try to get away from it. If I feel uh, pain, I take a Tylenol or I take a nap. Or I rest for a long time. I try to get away from the pain. And the reality is sometimes you may need rest. Sometimes there may be unnecessary pain that we need to deal with. But the scripture says sometimes what we need to do is confront the pain and stand up. And for lack of a better term, suck it up. It says strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. The images of of an athlete who's just defeated, actually a boxer who just is, is done. They're like this. They're ready to quit. It says, no, straighten those knees, straighten those arms. Get back up and keep running. There may be a time in your life when you need to pull away and you get help and you get counsel and you heal, but you do that so you can get right back up and run. One of the greatest stories in the 20th century Olympic history was from the 1968 marathon at the Olympic Games. There's a man named John Stephen Aquari. He was from uh, Tanzania, Tanzanian runner, and uh, began the marathon. And sometime early in the race, he uh, fell down and he dislocated his knee. Now, uh, that's got to be an incredibly painful injury. And uh, if I am running anywhere and I dislocate my knee, that's a good reason for me to quit Right? I'm going to go get a snack or uh, go lie down or something, right? I'm not going to keep going. But he kept going. Right? Marathon ended. The winner, second place, third place, they go across the finish line. An hour later, Unquari hobbles into the stadium. 
with his dislocated knee. Now, by then, most people had actually left the stadium. There were about a thousand people left that see this runner come in. And they stand up and they applaud him. And he hobbled across the finish line, last place, but he made it across. The reporters asked him later, what in the world kept you going for miles and miles and miles on a dislocated knee? And he said this, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to Mexico City to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. He said, I'll finish. And that's what Hebrews is saying. Stand up. Strengthen your resolve. And whatever you're going through, fix your eyes on Jesus and you run. He has called you to make disciples. He has called you to share the gospel. He has called you to represent him throughout the world. You feel broken. You feel hurt. You feel in pain. Join the club of humanity. Everybody who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Trials are a part of the life that God has set for us. It's not a reason to stop. It's a reason to run faster and harder toward the goal of knowing Jesus Christ and sharing him with others. So you strengthen your resolve. Most people don't remember the winner's name of that marathon, although I'm sure he was a great runner. I don't know his name. They remember Anquari because he was faithful. So you may limp across the finish line because you're hurt, you're in pain. And yet you may hear Jesus say, well done, you were faithful. This imagery of the cloud of witnesses at the very beginning of the chapter, I love that imagery. It's not the imagery of men and women up in the stands, spectators up in the stands. What it is, is the cloud of witnesses are those from chapter 11 who have run the race before you and now they are across the finish line and they're standing across the finish line and they surround you as you run across the line. And at the head of that line is Jesus. And as you run across the line, they applaud. And there's Jesus at the front and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your rest, the fullness of your rest. So strengthen your resolve, run well, because there's reward for those who are faithful. Three quick applications as we close. Your first one is this, set aside the distractions. Like I said earlier, some of you, you, you have some real distractions that are going on. Maybe you need to turn off Facebook for a few minutes. Some of you probably checked it while we're sitting here, right? Maybe you need to spend a little bit of time quietly hearing from God getting into his word. It may be that your distraction is a sin issue or a personal issue of something that's been done to you or something that you have done that weighs you down and so you can't run. You may need to get counseling. You may need to get help. You may need to come to talk to a pastor or a leader who can help you. Set that aside and run well, right? It's a lot like going to the hospital. If you get hurt, you go to the hospital. You need to go. You need to get healed, but you don't move in. You don't bring all your stuff and all your clothes and all your furniture and set up shop, right? No, you go there, you get better, and then you get out and you move on with your life. Some of you have issues you need to deal with, and so you go. You receive counseling, you receive help, you receive input so that you can move forward and keep running well. Set aside the distractions. All right, secondly, seek to be transformed in the midst of your trial. Constantly ask, what is God doing in the midst of this trial? How can I change into the image of Jesus Christ? Will I be the old man or woman at the nursing home who is bitter and complaining and angry at everybody? 
Will I be the fearful person who's afraid to walk outside my front door? Or will I be the person who is bold at the age of 90, sharing Jesus, faithful to the end, because I allowed the trials God placed in my life to transform me into the image of Jesus Christ. Seek to be transformed. And then finally, never stop running. Never stop running. You fix your eyes on Jesus and you keep going. Whatever persecutions, whatever pain, whatever life throws at you, you keep running to one day cross the finish line and hear your Savior say, well done, well done. You've run well. Enter into the fullness of the rest I have for you. Never stop running. Would you guys pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your word. We confess that there are times we are tempted to stop because we're tired, because we hurt, because the world's values are so different from those of your word. And so we pray that you would strengthen our arms, strengthen our knees, straighten up those joints that are dislocated and broken, and let us run well. I pray we would dedicate ourselves to sharing Jesus with others, dedicate ourselves to making disciples, and dedicate ourselves to knowing you without ceasing until the day we enter into your presence or until you come back. And Father, we look forward to that day. And we ask in the meanwhile, make us faithful. Thank you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. See you all next week.